morning, church family. Good morning. Give that praise, praise and worship team a hand this morning. They sounded great. I am, I am really excited. I was thinking earlier, man, I just feel excited to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, I, I love being in God's house with God's people in the presence of the Spirit of God, giving God glory and honor and praise. Can I get an amen? Uh, yeah, God bless you. Um, the other thing that I was thinking, though, if I'm being perfectly honest, at my home... We have laid about 37 bales of pine straw in the last week and a half. And my back is glad not to be in my backyard messing around with pine straw. So you're going to hear about that a little bit in this lesson today. We have been uh, preaching and teaching through a series called Follow Me to Your Rescue. And the series has centered around a text in Exodus chapter 6. And in Exodus chapter 6, God makes four promises to his people that are timeless and relevant to us today. I want want you to go to Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to read this text for you. And today, I am going to wrap up our series of lessons called Follow Me to Your Rescue. Let's, Let's look at the Word of God this morning together. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, I will, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians." The four promises that God makes his people are found right there in the text in order. First thing God says to his people is, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to take where you are at in captivity to the Egyptians, and I am going to bring you out of your captivity. But God's not content just to bring his people out of captivity. In the Israelites' case, as in ours, God doesn't just need to bring us out of captivity. Sometimes he's got to get the captivity out of us. He's got to change our heart and our mind to truly set us free. Uh, Last week we talked about redemption. God says, I will bring you out, I will set you free, and I will redeem you. And redemption is about the price God paid for the freedom of his people. In the Exodus story, the price of their freedom was the blood of the Passover lamb. If the blood of that lamb was applied to the doorposts of the doorways of the Israelite people, then the Lord would pass over their household and death would not enter into their home. It's just the same for us. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb, and His blood gives us victory over death and frees us from our slavery to sin in this life. And his resurrection is the guarantee that all of that is true. Because the tomb is empty, our lives can be filled to the point of overflowing. Can I get an amen on that? That's really good news, church family. So today we're going to talk about God's plan to make the Israelites, and also you and I, his own people. And when we are made the people of God, we are fitted with God's purpose. And what I'm going to talk to you about a little bit today is that God's purpose for you and I is to rescue others 
who are still ensnared by slavery and captivity to sin. And in Exodus chapter 19, we get this text that clarifies that you and I have a place we belong. You and I have a place that we belong. And not living where you belong is not really living at all. If you don't live where you belong, you're not really living. And you're not going to find the place you belong by purchasing the right home in the right neighborhood. You're not going to find the place you belong by getting the right career and working for the right people. You're not going to find the place you belong making the right group of friends at the right season of your life. The size of your bank account, the car that you drive, the team that you root for, none of those things are going to answer the question, where do I belong? You are going to find where you belong when you become the possession, the literal possession of the living God. There's a couple of times that God speaks to Moses and tells his people that. It's in Exodus 19 and verse 5 here. I've got this on the screen for you this morning. Here's what God says. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice... And keep my covenant, listen to this, you will be, I love when God uses this language, my treasured possession. You'll be my treasured possession out of all the nations, for the whole earth is mine. I want you to think just for a moment who God is speaking to here. He's talking to Moses about the Israelite people. Now let's think about who those guys are at this moment. They have been in captivity, they've been in slavery for 430 years. They were arguably the weakest, most helpless nation on the planet. They didn't even have a nation. They existed under the slavery of the, of the Egyptians without a land, without leadership, without property, without possessions. They were literally nothing. They didn't have anything to offer. They didn't have anything that God would gain by making them his possession. And what does God call these people? Not just his possession, but his treasured possession. I want to remind you this morning that we serve a God who can see value when it seems like there is no value. We serve a God that can look past your faults and see within you some kind of opportunity God doesn't judge you as people of the world judge you. He looks at your heart and sees value where others wouldn't see value. He looked at a group of people who for 430 years had been slaves to the Egyptians. And he says to them, I'm not just going to possess you, but you are going to be my life's greatest treasure. So Kirsten and I have been working in our yard a lot. I've gotten a sunburn. The kids have gotten sunburns. I got poked by pine needles and pine needles and pine needles. Like death by a thousand cuts, you know, basically, after a week and a half. And so I was thinking about this lesson, and we are just gutting it out. We are just grinding it out in the yard, pulling every single weed that I can see. And we did let some flower beds go. And so there were a lot of weeds. And I picked up, I did pick up a dandelion in one of these flower beds. And I thought to myself, you know, I I know this to be a weed. But somebody might consider it a flower. 
And we serve a God that really sees flowers where others can see weeds. Have you been told in your life that you're the least likely to prosper? Have you felt helpless or hopeless or powerless? Have you ever felt like you have nothing to offer, that you don't have any skills, education, training, or any value that God could use? Do you feel weak and helpless and hopeless? If you feel like any of that, you can still be God's treasured possession. In the New Testament, there's a man named Peter who made lots of mistakes. And he reminds me a lot of the nation of Israel who made lots of mistakes and were in captivity at this point. And God used him powerfully. And this is what he says uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 9. But you, so we're fast forwarding the tape here from the Old Testament to the New. And Peter says, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's, here's the same language, special possession. That you might declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's saying, one time you were in darkness, now you get to live in the light. One time you were without hope and in despair and had received mercy, but now God has shown mercy upon you because God has paid the price for your redemption. You can be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You who had no value, God saw value in you. And you don't just get to be His possession. You get to be His treasured, His special, His valuable possession. That's the place you belong. That's the place you belong. Our place ultimately comes from God. You and I, we don't get to decide who we belong to. God does, and guess what? We belong to Him. In Acts chapter 17, I don't have this on the screen, you might write this in your notes. Paul is speaking to the people of Athens, and he says this in the Areopagus when he's speaking. From one man God made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that people might seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though He is not far from any one of us. You are where you are at at this moment in time because God put you here. And God put you here specifically because at this moment in time, He knew He would be close to you and He would be seeking after you and He would be searching after you. And this moment, at this time, in the life that you live is your best opportunity to seek for God To reach out for God. And when you do, you're going to find that He has already been reaching out for you. And you're going to find Him. You're going to find God as you seek and reach out for Him. Your place comes from God. And when we are where we belong, which is in God's possession, we get satisfaction. Our place gives us satisfaction. Psalm 107 and verse 9 says, God satisfies the thirsty And fills the hungry. Living in darkness outside of God's possession cannot compare to the satisfaction we feel 
living in God's wonderful light. And that light gives us life. And living a full and abundant life is satisfying. And when we know that our place comes from God and God's been seeking us and put us where we are in time so that we could find Him, we get satisfied. And then our place equips us to face life. Our place equips us to face life. When we're possessed by God and we are where we belong, we can face the life that we're living. I appreciated Robert's words so much. For, for whatever reason, Acts 14.22 has been on my heart for weeks. And, and the Bible says in Acts 14.22, we have to go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. And there are so many hardships we face in life, aren't there? You could probably draw to mind four or five really difficult things that you're in, situations that you're in right now. And when you are possessed by the living God... You're going to find strength in times of struggle. So think about Exodus 6. Why does God tell the Israelites that he's going to make them his possession? He's going to take them as his own people. Well, they're fixing to face a long journey between their deliverance from Egypt and the land of promise that God told Abraham his seed would go and possess. And how are they going to survive that struggle, the struggle of that journey where food and water and other resources are going to be scarce, where it's going to be long days and the heat and long marches and there's going to be mountains that they got to climb. And then anytime you climb a mountain, you're only halfway there because you got to go down the other side. There's going to be valleys and there's going to be hardship and toil and trouble. How are they going to survive that? They're going to survive because they know they are God's possession. And the same God that brought them out of Egypt, that parted the Red Sea, that will eventually give them manna from heaven and quail and and bring water from a rock, that same God is still the God that's leading them and guiding them, that owns and possesses them every day of their journey. And when when they sense that about God, it gives them strength for their journey. Not only does it give them strength, it gives them peace and comfort in times of pain. My children are are God's possession, but for the sake of this metaphor, they're my possession too. And I I write checks to prove that these kids are my possession, okay? So if I need to document that, I promise you I could. I'm talking like a lot of checks, okay? My kids are my possession. Sometimes I'm sure that's a pain for them, right? We have rules and, and responsibilities and things we do in the Langhofer family that they have to do. And I'm sure sometimes that's bothersome and troublesome, but when one of them skins a knee, or when they're nervous about getting in the batter's box or feeling anxious about a cheer competition or, or they make a mistake and their feelings are hurt and they're in pain, because they are my possession and they know that they are mine, they can run to me and find comfort in the midst of painful situations. As their daddy, can I stop all pain from happening in their lives? No, and here's the truth, church, I wouldn't even want to. But do they have a place they can always run because they're mine every single time? And when we're God's possession, that's, that's what that means. 
That there's a place we can run in the midst of pain. Doesn't mean there's not going to be some pain. There is. Doesn't mean there's not going to be some struggle. There will be. It does mean that there will always be a place that you and I can turn to. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are God's special possession. And we're on a journey too, to heaven. And God tells us that we're His special possession, the same reason He told the Israelites they were His special possession. He wanted them to know where their place was. He wanted them to be satisfied and equipped for life. When you and I know our place... It equips us for our purpose. So God tells the Israelites, I will take you as my own possession and I will be your God. And when they are possessed by God, they have clarity of purpose. Now we get a really good summary of the purpose of the nation of Israel in Romans chapter 9. So I've got that. It is in your notes and I've got that on the screen for you this morning. In Romans chapter 9, in Exodus 6... God tells Israel, your place is with me. You belong to me. And in Romans chapter 9, we see the purpose of that possession. Romans 9, Paul says, the nation of Israel is is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory. They get the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and God's promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced The human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Wow. What a powerful, noble purpose. Now remember who we're talking about here. This was not the nation we would have voted most likely to prosper. This is not the nation we would have voted as most qualified to be the nation from which the Messiah of the world comes. This isn't the nation we would have thought was the strongest or the best trained or the most liked. For 430 years, these guys were ruled by oppressive slave masters, by the Egyptians. They had no rights. They had no liberty. They had no freedom. And they were in bondage. And God said, because I am choosing you as my possession, I am giving you a special purpose. We, we absolutely live in a culture that generally feels the exact opposite. So I'm trying to get into football. Those of you that know me know I've never really followed sports. I want to follow sports so bad. I want to know it, and I want to love it, and I want people to know that I understand sports. Okay? So I was watching the NFL draft, which was on this week. And I just want to see a show of hands. How many even knew that? Okay, all right, fine. I thought if only like 10 to 15 people were to raise their hand, that would put me in the top 5% of sports knowledge individuals in our church. So I got a ways to go. All right, let me, let me read you a quote, though, about one of these guys that got drafted. I'm not going to name the person, and I'm not going to name the, the uh, sports writer who said this. But let me read this quote. This certain player who was drafted, drafted by this certain team, uh, this just struck me as, as unique, I guess. This certain player who was drafted by this certain team had, quote, shorter than ideal arms. Think about that for a second. All right, now, I don't know what the qualifications for a preacher are, but I'm like, man, are my arms shorter than they should be? You know, am I too tall, too short? 
Okay, so given the context, maybe that comment makes sense, right? Like, I guess people are looking at arm's length and somehow that's correlated to people's caliber of of success in, in football. But I thought this was a really good example of how harshly we can judge and be critical of others in our culture. That's, that's an accurate representation, I think, if we're being honest with ourselves about the quick snap judgment, judgments we make when we see other people. And if you're being honest with yourself, I think you'd have to admit that that's true. Oh, this person's too fat. Or, man, they're really short. Or, man, this person's hair is too long. Or they look unclean. Or this person looks poor. Or, oh, that's just a rich guy. And I think those snap judgments come across our mind before we even realize it. And we've already written somebody off as worthless or useless or no good or without purpose or not helpful or not worth our investment of time. And I want to remind you that that's not the style of God. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to take you as his possession and see value in you. God never looks at you and thinks your arms are not ideal in length. Okay, or that your hairline doesn't just quite meet the criteria of of what it should. Or that your bank account is too big or too small. Or your clothing selection isn't right. God designed you just as you are And he wants to make you his special possession. God used a nation that really was no nation at all in slavery for 430 years and made them his special possession and gave them the purpose of bringing the Messiah into the world. If God can do that with this group of people, God can use you for anything. You want to know what your purpose is? Jesus tells us in Matthew 28. We know what the nation of Israel's purpose was. I I just read it to you. God shares with us our purpose. Let me read it to you here. You'll know these verses. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, even those made up of people with shorter than ideal arms. Okay, that's not what it says, but that means anybody everywhere. Okay? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In your bulletin, on the back side, we have our mission statement written. Let me read it to you. White's Ferry Road Church makes disciples who love God, love others, and share Jesus Christ. That mission statement we get right here from God's Word. And one reason that we do what we do as a church is to fulfill the mission that God has given us. To fulfill our purpose. So we do a lot of things to fulfill that purpose. One thing we do is we gather together on Sundays with God's people and God's house and God's spirit to worship God and glorify God. I think of this sometimes. A friend of mine told me once, this is almost like a, 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 a halftime uh, talk that preps us to go out and fulfill our mission. We fellowship together. We encourage one another. We get encouraged and strengthened by God. And then we go out and we fulfill our mission. We have community groups that are going to kick back off in the fall. Some of those are getting ready to wrap up over the summer. Our community groups kick off in the fall. That's so we can do this together. So we can love God, love each other, and share the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, we are, and we announced this in January, we are starting a discipleship group process. Our elders and staff have already gone through those discipleship groups. By the fall, we will start some discipleship groups that will fulfill this ministry. I'm so thankful for a, a group like One Kingdom that is housed here at WFR that does local, regional, national, and international missions work. That is all because of the purpose that God has called you and I to. And I want to I recruit you on board to that purpose. I, I want you to function in the purpose that God has called you to. I want you to be possessed by God. I want you to surrender your life to Him. And then I want you to fulfill your purpose. Think in terms of from one to everyone. That's a, that's, that's a summary of what God's calling on our lives is. First, we have to be transformed. We've got to be brought out. We've got to be set free. We've got to be redeemed. And once we're in, in the possession of God... And walking along the path that God has for us, then we can help others do the same. Uh, your purpose and mine start small, but it makes a huge difference. The small decisions you make today will influence lives for all of eternity. Your purpose requires relationships. You've got to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and build relationships with some people. Ask some people their name. Ask them what's going on in their life. Ask them how they're doing spiritually. And share the reason you have hope in your life with those people. Have those conversations. But your purpose is going to require relationships. And ultimately, your purpose changes people's mailing addresses. That's what this whole series has been about. God changed the mailing address of the Israelites from a land of bondage and brokenness, think about this, to a land that flowed with milk and honey. That people who had no freedom were, were going to become free. And God was going to lead them to that place and be their God and he was going to be their people. And ladies and gentlemen, God is preparing a land that flows with milk and honey for you and I. Let me give you one last text to wrap this up. Your mailing address and mine have changed if we've obeyed the gospel. And John the Revelator gives us this powerful vision of what that can look like. As people are set free, possessed by God, and living in God's purpose... Revelation 7, 9 through 12, John is looking around and he says, After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude of people that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down, angels falling at the feet of the Lamb. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen! Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
I want you to be a part of that. I want your robe to be washed white as snow. And I want you to stand in the company of people too countless to even number. And I want you to sing with me, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And I want you to hear angels sing, amen, praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Some of you may not have obeyed the gospel. You may not have clothed been clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ and surrendered your life to Him. I want to invite you to do that this morning. Some of you may be road weary and just beat up and tired. If that's you, we want you to give us a chance to do what God has put this church on the planet to do and love on you and encourage you through your hardship. If you have any other need... After I pray, we're all going to stand and sing, and I invite you to bring that need forward so that we can love on you a little bit this morning. Let's bow. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much, God, for the promises that you have made your people throughout time. God, you said you would bring us out, you would set us free, you would redeem us, and you would make us your own. You would fit us with your purpose and make us rescuers of others. Jude talks about snatching them literally out of the fire of judgment. God, thank you for calling us to that high of a purpose. Thank you for seeing value in us when we don't see it in ourselves and maybe others don't as well. Thank you for your willing willingness to transform us and give us a life that is satisfying and pleasing and glorifying to you. God, we love you and we thank you. And we ask all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.